And now, The Rika Show, presented by Rika Technologies with your hosts, Cynthia Delaria, Daryl Brogdon, and Grant Parks. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is uh, our very last podcast episode of the year. Uh, when this goes out, it will be a couple of days before Christmas, and uh, we will be taking a little bit of a hiatus because we got some travel happening and some projects wrapping up and making so, it merry and bright. Um, so today we thought that we would spend a little bit of time talking about this trend, which I'll be completely honest, I don't totally understand it, uh, but these guys do, and so they're going to educate me. Apparently, there is a movement in the world. That's a good way to phrase it, I think. <laughs> uh, around trying to monetize open source software. Now, to me, that sounds like an oxymoron because open source means free for everybody. Usually these are, you know, underneath some kind of like public license of some kind, whether it's the GPL or one of the MIT licenses or something like that. Um, but apparently people are trying to find a way to make money off of not making money. So explain to us what does this mean and what's what started this? I think what started it is they that there are people out there that don't like the fact that Apple, Amazon, Google, these massive, massive corporations are making gobs of money off of using open source software because they do. They use Linux, they use Apache, they use Nginx, they use all this, you know, and and so... I think there are people out there that feel that it's not fair for these companies to make the kind of money that they do off of these open source projects. And so they feel like, yeah, I can see the look but on it, your face. But it, hold on. If the, if lots of companies big and small and everybody in between weren't adopting these technologies, nobody would know about them or care about them. And, and and what <laughs> I just I said wrong? is not entirely true. I mean, yes, they are making gobs of money, but it's it's not like they're not contributing back. You know, right. they have people that are contributing back to these back to these projects. Now, are they contributing a lot of of their time and effort? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. I would I would imagine, given how much Amazon, for example, uses, I'm trying to think of of uh, a piece of open source software that they absolutely rely on. Linux is probably one of them. The amount of how much they're using Linux tells me that they are themselves finding bugs, finding features that they need. And so they are themselves contributing those features back to it. Mm. So, and that was the intent of open source. Is right. Yeah. The big guys are getting it for free and they're making all this money, but they're also contributing back very, very useful things sure. that the rest of us are, can use that and everybody see else and, benefits from. Yeah. So we all get the benefit of that. Um, another one that I used was react react is the, is the framework of the framework du jour that everybody <laughs> loves. Right. That means of the day in case you day. don't know French, which means the there day. will be another one tomorrow. There will be, <laughs> um, that came out of Facebook. And so you know, my argument was it do, do all, I mean, all of these people that are, that are using react, do, do we all now owe Facebook some money? Mm, you know, see what I'm saying? Yeah. So Facebook actually, they have staff members that they pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for their salaries and benefits or whatever, who do nothing. I'm my understanding anyway, is who do nothing but work on react. Huh. And so that is one. And, 
anybody who knows me knows I am not a fan of Facebook. So for me to defend <laughs> Facebook here is saying something. So they, it, it kind of sounds like the little guys are mad that they put out software that took off and everybody's using it and it's doing well because they're not making money. But they're also, it's disingenuous to say that the big guys aren't also putting time and money and effort into things that everybody else is getting to use too. So this isn't, this isn't really like a one-sided thing where Amazon's out there building all their proprietary stuff and basing it all on outsourced stuff or Facebook isn't all building proprietary stuff basing it on outsourced stuff and hoarding all of that. Right. No, that's not true at all. And in fact, they all contribute back to their, they all contribute their, their own open source project. They will open source their own internal projects. The one who I'm the biggest fan of who probably does that least is Apple and shocker, mm-hmm. right? Apple is a very proprietary company and they're very controlling. So they don't, they don't make a whole lot of their software proprietary and they so they, and they, they do. also don't use a lot of open source stuff though, either. Do they? Uh, well, y- yeah. In the sense that every device they own is built on top of an open source kernel. Okay. They, I see. They, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much they contribute back to that, but it, I mean, it's a kernel and it's a microkernel, so I don't imagine it changes a whole lot. And it's also forty years old, so yeah, who knows how much it changes? Yeah. But um, uh, but you know, the the WebKit, the the, mm. the thing that drives their browser, um, they contributed back to that a lot. Mm. You know, so so this is. How many people, I mean, okay, I called this a movement and you were like, oh, that's a pretty good term for it. Yeah, in in the sense that bowel movement is very similar. (laughs) Um, How many many of these people who have open source whatever things are trying to do this? And exactly how are they wanting to monetize? Well, so one thing, I don't, don't, Grant, you may have found this. I don't remember. This, This one guy came up with a node NPM plugin that you could install and it would show ads whenever you would install an NPM. So if, so say I came up with an NPM module, a node module, and I included his node module. When you installed my node module, it would show you an ad and I would get in the terminal in the terminal and I would get a cut of that. Yeah. A text, an ASCII. Yep. Wait, Seriously? How weird is it? No, it's seriously. And it, it he, <laughs> he immediately pulled it down because of the backlash that he got. Because no everybody's kidding. like, I don't want to be seeing ads when I'm trying to get my work done. Yeah. Beyond the terminal. Um, oh, my and Lord. And I don't have the choice to opt out, so to speak, because of if I want to use package A and that guy yeah. didn't mind your ads, now I have to see your ads. And also the question I had about that is what happens if 40 packages deep all had that one ad package, am I going to be seeing 40 I'd of these? I assume they would, they would at least, they would, I would re- hope. remedy that because they, he wanted to be able to do this. Not to mention it's polluting so my, my console with it. With, you know. I'm sorry, I'm sitting here in shock. And just imagine uh, every time you type grep, right, or CD or LS, that you see an ad. by saying, hey, call Acme Computer Repair. Oh my God. You've got to be kidding no. me. It really is like the pop-up ad of, of Terminal. Oh. Yep. 
Okay, so this doesn't exist right now, though. They they it did it one day. It, <laughs> wow! It, it technically still exists, but I think he kind of pulled it pulled it back because he got such a backlash. Yeah. Well, and he wrote duh. this really he long with that. Huh? I think he's ruined his career. He may have. That. I don't know. Wow. Uh, he, he pulled it back and he wrote this really long blog post about his motivations. And I agree with his motivations. There are there are people out there that are writing open source software and it's a labor of love for them and they would like to be able to work on this full time right. and they can't. And so, you know, I mean, we, we ran into this recently. There, there was a guy that wrote this MQTT. No, it was a WebSockets um, plugin. And this was there's native a, script, right? This is for native script, yeah. and it has a bug in it somewhere, probably some OS update, and so it doesn't work. And he basically said, "I just don't have time to work on this because I have, I have paying work that I have to focus on, so yeah. I don't have time to research this." So, pull requests are welcome. Which, to be fair, is is one of the risks of open source software, right? Absolutely. Which is the yep. state of it, and if something if something in an underlying system that it relies on changes, mm-hmm. and Let's be fair, Amazon, Facebook, any of the big guys who are making gobs of money on this open source, they have the same risk that that happens. And then what do they do? They probably do have the resources to go in and fix things and update them and make them better, which lets everybody get better. So I'm still not seeing where the bitch fest comes from. Like I'm still not get, I'm, I do not have empathy or perspective for the guys who are upset about this. Oh, I don't really either. I mean, I understand the plight. Really what it comes down to is guys like that, he's one guy and he's maintaining this whole project by himself. And that is not an easy thing because you have so many people out there that are saying, well, why can't you just do this? And why don't you document this better? And blah, blah, blah. Why can't you just? Why can't you just, right? (laughs) Didn't we talk about that last time? (laughs) That applies to open source as well. So, you know, I sympathize for them, but yeah. You don't get into open source software, writing open source software, thinking there's going to be a payday. Right. And if you do, you're an idiot. Well, that's right. what I said about it at the time was like the guy's trying to change the rules. Of open source. It is like he got into a game where he knew the rules going into the game. Yeah. Now he's not satisfied with the outcome and he wants to change the rules of the game to make him satisfied. And I'm like, that's not how that works. You yeah. just It doesn't matter what you say or what you think or what you hurts you or, you know, I have no compassion whatsoever because it's like you're trying to change the rules and you knew. So what happened with Linux when that happened where there was a, well, there was enough following where there's a million people out there working on it. Well, if your WebSockets package was any good, (laughs) you'd have a thousand people working on it. Or if it needed, you know, and that particular, if it it was useful to a lot of people. Too much of it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's way too many people putting things out there that shouldn't be. They should be finding projects to perfect. Yeah. yeah. And that was that's like my new thing is like instead of coming up with a new framework or a new package or a new why don't plug you go in. pick one out there that's that does a pretty good job and, and make, make it, it better. perfect. Exactly. Because everything we run into in development when we use other people's stuff is this is trash. Yeah. This has bugs. This breaks down every, you know, I have to go find these weird one-off, oh, well, if you're using version whatever of that package and you're using using this and you're, oh, you have to go in and change. Why should I have to, if your stuff worked, it would work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I really think though, you know, taking the emotion out of it, that that would really be something that you people who want to get into open source projects should think about is rather than starting your own, going and finding one that's a pretty useful project that a lot of people use. And really making it great. Yeah. Yeah. 
and finding a way and to let take us all like centralized on a few. I'd rather us centralize on a few dozen really great, really packages, great, you yep. know, like Express that everybody uses. You yep. know, there's certain packages out there that everybody uses, and they started out early in the day, and they've continued and continued and continued to work on it. And so, yeah, pick one something like that that's a an important utility, and make it perfect. Yeah. Yeah, because then, I mean, we've struggled with this in NativeScript, right? And I don't, you know, we haven't really, we haven't even looked at Flutter in almost two years. I know mm -hmm. that it's changed a lot. There's some other packages that do, or some other frameworks that do this kind of same thing as NativeScript, which is compiling one code base to native Android, native iOS. Right. But we run into this all the time where it's like, we go looking for a plugin to do something, or we say, there's somebody's got to have solved this problem. There's 25 people who have solved the problem. So which one is best? None of them have solved it completely. And there's actual native script open source packages that they've put out that have started to go down some of these paths. Mm -hmm. So why didn't those 25 people go to the native script open source project and implement their little chunks so that they all work together so you get one thing and it all works really nicely. It reminds me, it's sort of along the lines of I need seven monitors. There's a lot of people out there <laughs> on GitHub. You'll notice they're like authors of 375 packages. That was this guy, you the know, guy that did the- Page after page of freaking, and it's like, why don't you have four that work really good? Yeah. yeah. The, the guy that did the ad one, if you look at his, at yeah. his he has over a hundred different open source projects. He just, mm -hmm. he'll have an idea and he'll, and- I, I don't know. I don't want to speak sure, ill of him. should be thrown away, I'm sure. I was just going to say that. I, I mean, just a, a cursory glance, I was like, who needs that? What purpose does that serve? And I think really what it comes down to for him and for many of these guys is it's a path to glory for them. It's my portfolio. Uh, it's my portfolio. It's a look at what I've done. I've contributed so much to the community. And they, they, uh, they're not wrong to a degree. It's quantity, not quality. It's quantity, kind of not quality. If you, and, if you glommed onto an important project that was out there, and made important contributions to it. People would be impressed. That would be way better. Yeah. And, and that's so stuff. And frankly, <laughs> a lot of these, I don't, I mean, I will, I'll even say most of these open source projects, they need that more than they need money. Yeah. And they probably want that. They want people that are writing bug, uh, fixing, code, bugs. fixing bugs. They want people yeah. writing documentation. Right. They want people, you know, monitoring the issues, issue tracker and, and answering that, you know, yeah. to help these these uh, core maintainers out so that they're not having to do all of this themselves. Yeah. Cause you, you know, you could counter, Oh, you want, you want money for your work on this project. You know what I expect from, you haven't worked in the yes. private sector. <laughs> they expect results. <laughs> you know, if you want me to start paying, you know what, I'm going to expect you to have a 1-800 number. That's right. I'm, I'm going to expect you to answer the phone at 2 a.m. That's when right. When it's bug. not working. Yeah. Yep. And it's holding me up. Yep. And, and so Hello. there has, <laughs> that has always been the real I path to, right. <laughs> that has annoyed. always been the path to monetization <laughs> through open source is that is one of the big ones is support around it. Yeah. All right. You're a big company and you want to be able to, you want someone to call when this support or this open source project doesn't work for you. Yeah. Then I'll do that for you for a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And NPM, the update on that whole effort was that. I guess the guys at NPM said we have a better idea. We'll try to we'll try to make everybody happy. Now, when you do your builds, there's a one line that says one package is seeking funding. Type NPM oh, really? more or something to find out. Mm. But huh. there's a one line that'll come out and say how many 
how many NPM packages that you just used are asking for money? Wow. So I guess that might've mollified him some and, you know. So how many of these guys writing open source and doing, how many of them are like legends outside of their own minds? Not many. I mean, is is this, so, so this brings me to, there seems to be a trend among developers that, Maybe, and it's not even just developers. I mean, we see it in the in the you know general population too. But like, fame seems to be really important yes. to these guys now. So, are these the kind of things that are making people famous in the development world? It does that really work, and is that why they're doing it, or are they just thinking that it does because? I, I mean, I don't even. I think, I think it's like music. I think there's a fan base. Um, and it, and it has to do with that Dunning Kruger thing sort of, or, you know, there's a, there's going to be a whole bunch of people that look at person X and say, this person X is a no JS God. And look at all these packages. And there's going to be a bunch of guys over here on the sidelines who have been doing coding for 30, 40 years who are saying, he doesn't know shit. That's look at how messed up that code is right there. But it doesn't matter because there's enough people out there. I mean, that's, that's why most of what's on the web is not really worthwhile. And, you know, a lot of people who are contributing both projects and writing on programming shouldn't be, they shouldn't be doing either of those things, but they've been being taught because there's a lot of blogs out there saying you need to be writing blogs instead of writing code. Right. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, code blogs that are telling you, you need to have a blog and you need to be promoting yourself. They're basically saying the goal here is to become famous for programming, not to be a great programmer. Mm. Now, I've been in a lot of hiring positions where I'm hiring developers. I'm pretty sure I've never gone and looked at somebody's blog to determine whether or not to hire them. I I mean, have you guys been at a place where people are getting hired because of their blogging? Uh, we, we, at our last company, we, we didn't hire a guy because of his blog, because he was so ridiculous. <laughs> was that the one who had the picture in his resume? Had the picture in his resume. He had like this really stylish green tie. And it, it was like this, th- th- he was the epitome of what we're talking about. He did this for the glory. He did this for the attention. And you could, you could almost just look at his resume and look at what he did and tell he didn't actually know what he was talking about. He would not have been a good programmer. Did you guys get into the programming for the glory? <laughs> I did, yes. 23 years later, I have failed. Laugh, but... That's why I have to park out in the alley because the fans that are waiting out front, right? oh I have to God. sneak out every time. And, and the autographs, and I'm out to eat. Oh, my God. <laughs> but see that, so... Didn't you write that cool open source project, bro? <laughs> Dude, will you, will you sign my floppy disk? <laughs> okay. But yeah, the reality though is I feel like there's a lot of young people that they're expecting that to happen. Almost like I'm getting into music because if I make it big, this is what it's going to be like. Right. And I feel like that's that they're actually like, that's what they're trying to target is stardom. Rather than actually, I mean, just being a really great engineer. Well, yeah. Or being a great musician. I mean, you see that all the time in the music industry where guys are like, we're going to be famous. And it's like, no, you suck. (laughs) I mean, the guys who were out there being famous, I went actually on Friday night, it was a friend of mine's birthday. um, And she loves Nathaniel Rateliff in the night sweats. And so they were at the mission ballroom. So we went and we, you know, we stood in line for an hour and a half before they opened the door so that she could run up and be first 
you know, we had amazing seats. Okay. And Mavis Staples open. She's 80 years old. She's been doing this for like 70 years. Yeah. She's amazing. She didn't get into it to be famous. She got into it because music is in her soul. She has to do this. She has to do it. And if she was doing it to rooms of 15 people every night, she would still be doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. The same with Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. They don't do it because they, they do it because they have music inside them and it's got to come out or they will die. Right. And they'd like to buy some food. Yeah. I mean, and and, yeah. Make some money. Yeah. That just reminded me of that scene from the Sopranos with that, that musician. He's like, excuse me, dude, I have recorded in Amsterdam. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And, and it's it's like it's like I have credibility because I wrote blogs. Right. I have credibility. And it's like the credibility really is in what you've done. We're really not going to know from that. No, the credibility know. is in a body of work. Grant and Daryl have a lot of credibility in this world because you've each got 25 plus years of a body of work to show. A lot of people haven't seen it. I mean, I, I've 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 thought about that, like, you know, but. I've had some things that I know that I know because like in PHP, they en- they ended up creating a new array function that did what my function did. But my function was cooler because if you only selected one column, it wasn't multidimensional. It was the way you'd want. It was better. Yeah. And it was faster. Yeah. But I never put that out there um, because I wanted it to be, I, I continue to work on things. I'm, right. I'm too busy making new software to figure out the process by which to put software out there for the public to consume. Yeah. Well, not to mention it, and when some it comes people would say that, well, you need to get your priorities straight and make more effort towards that because I wish I would have gotten recognition for something. Like I said, we were doing, I was doing Ajax. Hello audience. I was doing Ajax in 2001, <laughs> 2002 and the term didn't even get defined until 2004. Yeah. And if we had put that out there, we'd have been famous. I'd have been getting toxic conferences as that caught on because the other developers we showed it to dropped their jaws. They did not know it was possible to repaint parts of a page without refreshing the page, without making a server trip. And we were doing it. And, but we didn't focus on that. Right. You know, so I look back at, I have some regrets where there's some things that I did. I know were ahead of their time. Yeah. um, And wish that I were better at the promoting, Mm. but and maybe that's why I despise the promoting so much is because mm. there's actually a little jealousy in there that oh, I wish I knew. I wish I had the d- discipline to focus more on something here that doesn't really interest me that much, but I can't get away from the work. Yeah. You know, I just want to make, I, I, I want to jump back in and do some more code. Yeah. And that, I think that's the irony of all of it is if you're somebody who's trying to be a self promoter, you're probably never going to be coming up with groundbreaking things really. You're just going to talk loud. And if you're somebody who's coming up with groundbreaking things, you're not in, you're not promoting yourself because you don't have time. You're too busy coming up with good shit. I think, I think there's those guys like the guy who did the postgres after I've watched his talk that worked really hard on something really good. And then I think finally and then put like, some wow, time into this some is promotion. what I need to, instead of more new software, right. I need to really get this out right. there and make it real. Right. Yeah, there there are guys out there, and they seem they they also, in my estimation, Rich Hickey, the guy that created Clojure, the language. He's he's an, another one. You know, he gives talks um, around it. But they're both they're not they're not 
doing it for their own glory. They're promoting this software that they created, right? right? They're, right. The reason they're giving talks is so that they can increase the adoption of Postgres or Clojure or whatever. Linux. Yeah, they don't talk about themselves a whole lot in that. And, they, and, and, and from my own opinion, as you can see how fired up they are about the thing. Yeah. It's the thing. Yeah. Look at how cool this is. Mm -hmm. Not, and I did this and I made it do that. Right. Yeah. Let's check out this project that I did and check out that project. uh, Yeah, it really should work like that, but you know, I'm going to get to that. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. People who are really, you know, like you said, they're an artist who loves their art and, you know, eventually they can get, it can bubble over and they can share it. Yeah. But yeah, the people who are focused on promotion definitely... I mean, that's why that guy's got over a hundred things out there on his page is like, if you went through every single one, you'd probably find eight that were useful. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Out of a hundred. Maybe. Yeah. And how many people are installing all of this stuff? I mean, that's the other thing. It, I don't know. I haven't, I didn't, I didn't look at that. I just, yeah. you know, when, the, when this whole thing blew up and he was trying to do this terminal ad thing, uh, I went and looked at his, read his blog and, you know, I can, I can understand where he's coming from, but he just, his approach to it was completely wrong. Mm. And then I was like, well, look at all, I, actually it may have been Grant who said he's got like a hundred, uh, you know, different packages on, on GitHub. I'm like what? hundred? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of a thing is like, okay, if you've a, a software library type thing, many of them are never done, right? Yeah. Sure. You know, you got to make, ad- you got to fix things, got to make adaptations. And in my mind, there's going to be enhancements, but a lot of times you got to, you got to adapt to new OSs and new things like that. Well, that means it's an, uh, it's a, it's an ongoing work, right? Yeah. How can you be putting the, att- the right attention exactly. to a hundred different ongoing things? Right. Uh, or how, how or all these are experiments. Be good if, yeah. if you're doing that. Or he's like, oh, that's done. And he moves on. Well, right. software atrophies. Exactly. So, huh. It's interesting. This is, this is <laughs> still kind of like, really guys? I, I think, mean, <laughs> I think part of it because, you know, I mean, we, we've been around since open source really just got started, yeah. you know, 20 years ago. And yeah. nobody back then thought, I mean, everybody was thinking it would be great if we could make money off of this. And some people did. Red Hat is a great example, right? Red mm-hmm. Hat put out their own distribution, which is Red Hat. And they just got sold for $35 billion to IBM. So, you know, those guys cashed out and they really did. Sure. But, um, that wasn't the reason everybody did this. No. I mean, Red Hat kind of did. They started a company around their distribution. That, that was their goal. And and I've met a lot of open, I mean, I, work, I used to work for VA software and we, at the time, I think we employed more open source software developers than any, any other company in the world. Oh, wow. And so I met a lot of those guys. I met Rasmus Leerdorf, the guy that created PHP and, you know, um, and they just did it because they wanted to see this thing exist. Right. They didn't do it because they wanted to make a bunch of money. Right. And most of them didn't. Yeah. You know, for for them, getting paid a salary to work at VA so that they could work on their software was... That was a win. That was a win. That was yeah. great. You're going to pay yeah. me to work on this full time? Yeah. This oh, is yeah. making me think of... It, it. It's sort of to the whole general entrepreneur discussion. Why does somebody go into business for themselves? People mostly that I know... They want to be able to do what they like to do without restrictions and, and with more freedom and on their own time. 
and they hope to make a decent enough living that they can pay their bills. And yeah, and 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 they'll they'll be like, it'd be nice if I could clear a couple hundred grand every year and have a nice lifestyle, but that's not their primary thing. Right? They don't right. say I'm going to go open my own plumbing business to get rich. Yeah, no. They say there's a need, and I'm good I'm at this. I'm gonna open my business because I'm good I can at that. I like doing it. I don't really like doing it for somebody else because they don't let me do it the way I want to do it, and I know I could do it better. Um, and I know I could. I've I've got you know people skills. Yep. And, but it's all about the the thing, the yep. work. Yep. And they're like, and I, you know, I hope I I think I can make a decent living at it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so they're they're not saying I'm gonna go open my pizza shop to get rich. I'm not gonna go. You know, no. I'm not gonna do this to get rich no. I'm doing this because I want to do this for me. Yeah. And the ones who do do it to get rich often don't ever achieve that in, no. in my estimation, or they don't ever put out a great product on the wrong things yes. right. when they're right. I mean, you can speak to this more, I think, you know, in terms of the business that if you're focused on that, you don't have enough. You, there's so many other things that you really have to be focused on to do right. Yep. To make it work. Yeah. I mean, what, what you're basically speaking to is that if you have a thing, an idea, a passion, a service that must be in the world. Like you just know this has to be. Everything else will come together, right? And so many times people are trying to open a business to get rich. And so they don't have the thing that's going to keep them going when they're not. Oh my God. I mean, to me, this is like going to this overall discussion of faith. And it made me think of if you build it, they will come. Yeah. If you do a really great thing, you don't have to be too into promotion. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it's a really great thing in the technical world anyway, and then it's like, like you just, you just have, you, because you have to have what it takes to keep going when you're not seeing adoption or, yep. you know, outside. Which is going like to a, happen. Those downtimes are going to happen. happen. But that, you know, that comes from a sense of faith and that, that means you have faith in the thing yeah. that you're doing, that this is going to, you know, yeah, it's garner, not- garner some, it's not enough Attention. to just have faith that I'm going to be rich one day and that's going to keep you going because it won't. Money is not enough of a motivator. We've seen that so many times where we've worked with companies and they're more focused on the the millions of users that are going to use their thing and how much money that's going to make them than they are interested in the problem they're solving. You know, that's why we always start product market fit starts with what's the problem you're solving? Who are you solving it for? And are you resonating with the people who have the problem? Right. And you can't do any of that if your focus is money. That's just not how it works. It's putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. And it's like that experience I had where here's roughly what this thing needs to do. Believe me, there's a huge demand and I can sell this. Yeah, I know exactly. All these that are going to want this. Now let's talk more about it. Don't worry about it. I can sell this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. How do, have you, are you really, you know, how analytical have you gotten about that if you're not willing to get deep into the thing itself? Yep. Yep. And, and if you haven't cut it up and chopped it up in your head into different ways. Yep. How do you know who you're going to sell it? Yep. For us, I mean, when we decided to embark on this journey called, hey, let's build an incubator, which might be one of the stupidest ideas I've ever had, but hey, here we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh you know, for me, what is the why? The why is every time I hear the story about somebody spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and years of their lives going after something that can never be viable, that will never be a business, that will never get traction, that will never make them back their investment, much less 
put them in a place where they're making a comfortable living and they feel like what they have to give is out in the world. That makes me sad because there's an entrepreneur who will probably never be an entrepreneur again. Right. Because when something's hard and when it hurts and when you struggle, why would you do that again? Like why on earth would you ever do it again? Unless you just have to see this thing exist. Right. You have such a passion, William, for example, he has to see this, this product. But he's done the right things from the beginning where he, you know, he went through the the struggle of he's, you know, he told us on, on one of our very, very first podcasts at the beginning of 2019, we interviewed him and he said, you know, I struggled. I, I, my dad gave me $50,000 and I thought 50 grand, that'll be great. I can get some prototypes out there and whatever. He was trying to build the wrong thing. Right. Thank God he learned that and he had enough people around him early that he didn't spend a couple hundred thousand dollars. It was just $50,000 learning and developing and figuring out what people really needed from him to solve the problem. Um, but, and again, he's still he was, struggling. I mean, this oh, past course. week is probably one of the toughest weeks he's had. Yeah. he He's literally putting out all of the production units are coming, you know, they're being built and, mm-hmm. you know, the first hundred are already out there and there's another 230 or whatever it is for the Kickstarter people that's going to be delivered this week. And all of the integration problems between getting the, the, the device itself and the portal, which is on the web and then the app and the cloud and all those things talking to each other. I mean, there's challenges with that all along the way and he doesn't care. He's going to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of why he'll be successful, but he's, he has the passion for getting it right. He has the passion for it being something that actually serves people and solves people's problem, not have a passion for making money. Right. <laughs> Cause there's lots of other things he could have done with the last five years, almost yeah, five and a half years of his life that would have been far more productive in the money realm than this. Right. I mean, he sold his house. And well, he was, in yeah, he was parents. an engineer. Uh, yeah, I think he was he making was, a pretty decent salary. He could have made more money in these last five money. years. Way more money. Yeah, but, but he would have been he miserable. He needed this solution to exist in the world and he felt like this had to be. Yeah. And he's done the work and he's done the, he's done the hard parts. And, you know, so, so many times. That's what she said. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> So many times we work with entrepreneurs who they they think that by working with us or that by getting, you know, the right tech co-founder or the right investor involved that they'll be able to blow by the hard parts. Yeah. And I just have never been part of an entrepreneurial journey that didn't have hard parts. You know, we we are working right now on a so I think we might have talked about this uh once or twice before, but we came to the realization a few months ago that our our short-term business model doesn't work. We can't, we can't do enough startup programs for enough people in the amount of time we need to without ramping up resources to support those projects, which then just means we have to add more projects and more, it's just a cyclical thing, right? The short-term business model doesn't work. The long-term works fantastically, but it takes five to seven years minimum to start seeing a return on equity in a company you know, as an investor of any kind. And, you know, we're an investor coming in at the very beginning. There's no technology. There's no technical debt. There's nothing. So we have higher risk. We have higher risk and it takes longer. Yeah. And so we started looking at how can we deliver the value of our startup program at a much higher scale and for more people. 
And it isn't about, for me, it's not about making money. I mean, we need to be able to cover the bills so that we can continue to run the incubator because I think this service needs to exist in the world. I really do. I think the the kind of clients that we found once we started honing the process, these people need a way to get into the world. And there just are so many people. I'm calling them out. Spire Media. Spire Media is one of the 800 pound gorillas in this custom software development world in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And I have heard more stories of entrepreneurs just getting horrific experiences with Spire Media. And that's why we exist Yeah, is because somebody has to be looking out for the little guy. So the purpose of what we're building now to bring, to, to, to create the startup program at scale, it's not about money. It's actually about being able to serve more little guys than we can right now in a way that lets them get to the answers they need so that they don't mortgage their houses and potentially ruin their marriages or borrow against their retirement that they can never get back. The number of stories we've heard about this, this is why this needs to exist. And over the coming months, you know, we're going to be reaching out to people that we know on LinkedIn because, you know, we, we follow our own process. We have this product that we're talking about now, putting it through our startup program. And we are at the point now where we're almost done with the prototype for it. And we're going to start asking entrepreneurs, what do you think? Is this useful? How could it be more useful? Um, so we, you know, we don't skimp. We do what we say and we say what we do, right? right? And I guess my whole purpose of coming back around to what we were originally talking about, we aren't doing this thing to get rich. We're doing this thing because we have a skill set that is in need for people who don't understand this world because uh, so many ideas now, so many businesses, so many startups are people who are solving problems in non-tech fields. There's no technology about owning and loving your dog, but technology can help you solve problems about loving and taking care of your dog better. I just ran into one the other day and the, the potential entrepreneur said to me, I know this will work. All we have to do is build it and put it out on the app store and it'll sell like gangbusters. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, it won't. <laughs> no, it won't. It yeah. might. Eventually, it yeah. will. I, I personally think this will be a success and we'll talk yeah. about this in a bit. Um, but it's not going to be that easy. No, it is just it, not going to be the that easy. Wor- the world does not live. And th- this goes back to the open source guys too. Build it and they will come. That came from a movie. That's right. fake. That's fake. That was ghost dudes and baseball and Kevin Costner. Okay. That's not real life. That's not how things work. I heard somebody say the other day, and I forget who it was. That's driving me crazy because I've quoted it a couple times now, but somebody said the other day, those overnight successes took 10 years Yep. and hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in advertising and marketing and PR and promotion and blood, sweat, and tears of the founders. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know about you two. I have cried a fair amount of tears over the last three years that we've been working on this because it's very personal to me. And this thing needs to exist. And whatever it takes, I will do it to make it exist. I just shed blood. I didn't cry. Uh, well, D- Grant's the sweater, Daryl's the bleeder, bleeder. and I'm the crier. <laughs> <laughs> That's really gross. 
That's pretty gross. Yeah. And the blood um, was because Jill stuck a camera up my nose last week. I know. David and, David came home and he said, so Jill learned how to scope today and she started on Daryl and she made him bleed and he started laughing. <laughs> and did he tell you we found out I have... I have had my nose broken and I have no idea when I broke my nose. And Most David, people have. Yeah. David said, yeah, you broke your nose probably when you were younger. I'm like, yeah. what? Most people have, you know, like kids, when they run into a door, they like smack their face on something that breaks. It's, it's very, very, very sensitive. And really? that's enough to break your nose. Okay. Most people don't make it past the age of 10 without a broken nose. Okay. Whether or not you remember it, I mean... No, I don't. I know. have no idea. I've been racking my brain since. When, yeah. when did I break my nose? Because I felt like that was something I would remember. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Because it's so fragile and you were probably five or six or seven and you fell off a swing or... I mean, I can think of a gazillion times as a cheerleader. I was a cheerleader from the time I was five until I was about 23. Um, there were a gazillion times where I fell off a pyramid and landed funky and my nose was inside of someone's shoulder and it hurt for a few days afterwards or I was catching someone and they fell funky on me and their shoulder was in my nose. You know, okay. I mean, a gazillion times. Really? All of those are plenty to break your nose okay. over and over and over well, again. Well, that's good to know. So, and uh, since we're sidetracking anyway, have you guys seen the new Ghostbusters trailer? Yep. Oh my God. We saw it last night at oh my uh, God. Jumanji. Oh, we went and saw Jumanji last night too. Yep. Oh my God, you guys. I Just for anybody who doesn't know, Ghostbusters is my absolute favorite movie. We saw it at the drive-in when I was like three or four. It was terrifying. Oh, really? Yes. And so this year, every year, David and I go to Hollywood Horror Nights at Universal Studios in, Ho in yeah. Hollywood. And they dress up all the sound stages as these various themed haunted houses. Yeah. This year, they had a Ghostbuster theme. Yeah. Most of it wasn't even scary, but it was, I was instantly four years old. You walked in the yeah. door and you're in the firehouse and there's Janine sitting there answer, answering the phone. Ghostbusters, what do you want? Yeah, exactly. And then the, the, the little guy, he's walking around all with his hair everywhere and he's freaking out and his shirt's like half done. And he's like, oh my God, don't go in there. And uh, the Rick Moranis character. Uh, um, what is, his, uh, name what is his name? That's going to drive me crazy now. Oh man, it's I'll, a great I'll name. think. Did of you it. watch that documentary on Netflix? No, I haven't watched it yeah, yet. It's in my queue, but fine. but I was. It was. I don't get scared at these things. I love scary movies. I love the haunted houses. It it just cracks me up because David ends up hiding behind me and using me as a shield all night, and I think it's hysterical. <laughs> this one, I was scared. Yeah. It was like I was instantly four years old. I mean, we we're walking down the hallway with the Sedgwick Hotel past the ballroom where Slimer's like doing his thing and right. then he's at the end of the hall and he comes like tearing out at you and it, I mean and then we're in the Dana Barrett's apartment with the the thing trying Zool trying to come yep. through the door and oh, her sitting cool. in the chair like struggling with the arm and I, I mean it was it was terrifying yeah because I was four years old in the middle of this experience yeah. and I just I love this movie so much and I have I, I've now watched the the first trailer they put out and then the one that they put out before Jumanji was a little bit different than the one they put out on YouTube last week. Was it? Yeah, it was a little oh, bit I different. There were some there were some additional details in it. 
And I am so over the moon. Yeah. I, you know, I loved the original is absolutely my favorite. The second one with Vigo. Yeah. I loved that. It's super campy and, and stupid and I love it. The third one, I, I'm sorry, I just couldn't see that. That was not part that of was, that my was world. The yeah, okay. that just wasn't it. And now, you know, this this one, it's Ghostbusters Afterlife. Right. Is the follow-on as if the third one didn't happen. Didn't, it's, yeah. you know, the, the first one happened, the second one happened, and now it's today. Yeah. And God, I'm so excited. I mean... I got, I was like almost crying yeah. when, when they did the, the opening scene, because I knew that it was the preview. For, I mean, it's I'm like fanatical about it, you know, and I, I'm like so excited for next summer. I can hardly stand myself. I'm so excited. And I think I know what's going to happen, but I don't want to say anything because I want to ruin it for anybody. But if it's what I think it is, I'm stoked about it. Yeah. Like it's going to be so cool. So, so it, it does look like, a, and, and the, the trailer too. It, it comes across as very serious. Oh, yeah. And at first I was like, this, but I know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. It's going to be funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Paul Rudd as the, yes. as the, like, that's when I knew it was going to be funny because I saw Paul, I'm like, Paul oh, Rudd. Oh, hell yes. Yeah. He's perfect for this. He's hilarious. He's perfect. And then the kid from, uh, from, uh, Stranger Things, Stranger Things yeah. who was also in It, like that kid's was he, getting some serious that. work. He? He's okay. going to have a good career. Um, Anyway, so I figured since we were going on a bleeder sidebar, we might as well go on a Ghostbuster sidebar because, hey. <laughs> it's our podcast. Uh, all right. So if you, if you guys to. had one piece of advice for somebody who wanted to build something open source, what would it be? Do it. Do, do open source. Open source is great. Just uh, manage your expectations going in. It's not going to be easy unless you're just doing it to throw it away. You know, obviously it can be rewarding because so many people do it. And you're contributing something back that's useful. But to Grant's point, maybe first go contribute to one or two other mm. open source projects that may need your help. Yeah. Get your and there are plenty. It doesn't have to be Linux. Linux has thousands of developers working on it daily. You know, it doesn't have to be Apache. It doesn't have to be, you know, all yeah. these name brand. It can be something smaller. Yeah. Look at what you use that you use on a daily basis and see what they need and go f fix that. That also, by the way, is a fantastic way to get better, to become better as an, as an engineer, yeah. because they're not going to say, no, you can't work on this. Right. They might reject your, your pull request. They might reject your, your, your but submission. They'll probably tell you why. They will absolutely and tell you why. And then you'll yeah. learn what you need to know to be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So open source is great. And that, that's, that's where to me, this is, this movement is more along the lines of a bowel movement because this is just <laughs> the antithesis of open source. And it always has been. Yeah. And you, you talk to some of these older guys um, old, way older than me that, that have done open source and they don't understand this at all. This doesn't make any sense to them. Why would you, why would you expect to get rich off of open source? Yeah. And, and the reality is, is, is it's like music. It's like anything else. It's unfair because yeah, there are some overnight successes. Right. There are some guys that just put something out there and it's the right place at the right time Yeah, and it goes gangbusters. Yeah. It's probably not going to be you. And it's very rare. And it's very rare. So don't rare. worry so much about it. Yeah. yeah. Linus Torvalds wasn't the only guy that put out a, a free operating system in 1991 or whenever it was. Yeah. It's just that he put it, out, he, it was the right place at the right time. Yeah. And so, all right, guys, uh, this is, uh, Rika technologies, Grant, Daryl and Cynthia, um, wishing you a very happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. What's, what's the, what's the Seinfeld one? Festivus. Festivus. Oh, yes. Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, whatever you celebrate, 
may it be a wonderful time. May you end your year on a high note and come into the new year ready and for whatever it is that you're up for. Um, And uh, we will see you in 2020. Thank you for listening to The Rika Show. Visit us at rikatech.com for more fun with technology. Catch you next time.